Hello everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Changing the Climate, the show where we talk about the changing world around us and how we can make it better. Brought to you by Climate Change Realty. The only real estate brokerage that donates 50% of its net commissions to 501c3 nonprofit organizations dedicated to fighting climate change. Catherine, thanks so much for being here. I'm really excited to have you on the show. Of course. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's my absolute pleasure. And, you know, we always like to get this podcast started with a little bit of background on who you are and how you got to be doing what you're doing at the current moment. So my name is Catherine Pierce. I'm a co-founder and CEO of Carbon Zero Financial, and we are building out financial services that actually serve the planet. Um, my background is actually far more in behavioral change. I started that work when I was still a student at the University of Pennsylvania, focusing on interpersonal violence reduction. And it was in that work that I realized most of us actually have shared goals. Most of us do not support violence. Most of us do want to sustain life on earth, etc. We just don't consistently align our actions and day-to-day decisions with those goals. So if we can actually capitalize on what are very much shared goals, uh, we can more effectively scale solutions and reach these huge ambitions for both people and planet. Um, So graduated from Penn, then was a Fulbright Scholar in Ivory Coast, West Africa. Incredible experience, again, looking at what are our community goals, in what capacity can we capitalize on existing systems and frameworks to achieve those backpacked for a year through Africa, Europe, and Asia. And I do say that um, solo backpacking as a woman, I think, was what most equipped me for the world of startups. Uh, If you can do that, yeah, go into the unknown with a smile on your face. Uh, After which I went to New York City, was director of marketing at a brokerage. Um, But throughout that time, still was very passionate about how do we actually get people to more effectively act on what are shared values? And that's what we're doing with Carbon Zero Financial aligning both our actions and transactions with our concern for people and planet. And it's really, really cool. Um, Have you always had like the ambition to start your own company or was it more about I need to create a positive impact in the world one way or the other? Yeah, I think I've always been someone uh, when I see a problem, I am definitely the type to roll up her sleeves and be like, okay, we have to do something about this. Um, And that's kind of where my own work in behavioral change and social impact emerged, seeing a problem being like, we have to do something. I never really thought that that would emerge in the context of entrepreneurship. And so it's really, it's been so fulfilling uh, for myself as well to now be ensuring that my work is a reflection of the impact I want to have in the world. uh, And my work reflects kind of the values that I too hold. So um, I think creating your own company, leading your own company is an incredible opportunity to do that. Not to say, however, you can't do it uh, with some of these bigger corporations, but it's a fun journey. It, I mean, it's a whole lot of fun. And yeah, I'm, cu- I'm curious. You said you studied behavioral what exactly? So no, I was I was history and media studies and French while I was at oh. Penn. I was paid by the university um, as part of something called Penn Anti-Violence Education. And we actually started to educate on what is the spectrum along which violence occurs. And when we better understand kind of these concepts, how can we more effectively place ourselves uh, and understand our role in these problems? And that's essentially what we're all trying to do with climate, with um, fighting sexism, racism, violence, anything. What role do I play? And is it enough? Am I actually part of the solution? Am I part of the problem? And how can we mobilize around the fact that most of us do actually want to create progress. Most of us do actually want to contribute to the solution. Um, We have a very optimistic view, in fact, 
of both people and our ability to scale solutions. It's really just how do we facilitate? And we don't believe that it should really be the responsibility of one person on their own to fight the entire system. Rather, we should, as private organizations, as institutions, be building out the mechanisms by which people can more easily act and transact on their values and on their concern for the planet. So we're endeavoring to do that. We want to bring innovation, education, and automation to people's individual uh, journeys with climate change. And I think that's really amazing. We're going to go deep into that. But before we do, um, I'm wondering how you became engaged in these in these issues. Like, where do you think your foundation comes from? Like, what caused you to have your, your values? And I'm also wondering where you're from, like, originally. Originally from Philadelphia. Um, okay. And we are a gritty people. So we, <laughs> uh, I think it very much has always just come from a sense of, when you see something that's wrong, you do your best to make it right. Um, and I think we all actually have that motivation. It's just a question of whether or not we believe in our own capacity on both an individual and communal level to achieve these goals. Um, but I very much, I when I see something that seems unfair, wrong, uh, even just inefficient, I, I definitely, it gets my uh, engine going. And so um, I think very naturally just product of who I am. But I think most of us, when we see something that we think is unethical, wrong, or quite literally leading us into kind of an existential crisis, we want to do something about it. Yeah. So if you see all these crises, what like keeps you going? What makes you personally like believe and have that energy? Yeah, I think it's that, again, faith and utmost belief in the fact that we actually all do have more over which we can agree than disagree. And more of us actually want to achieve something than not. And in so doing, it's not us against the entire world. It's identifying how the entire world can actually more effectively come together around this. I really, I think, again, I don't look, I look for more bridges than I do kind of chasms. And uh, I think many of us do have similar concerns. Many of us are motivated by similar desires to keep ourselves safe, our families safe, future generations safe. So to me, it's not it's very much problem solving mode. I don't really subscribe to the doom and gloom. It's okay. We actually have a lot of people who want the same thing. How can we build systems that not only reflect that, but amplify the potential and impact of that? Um, and to that end, it's actually, I get very excited. <laughs> yeah. It's cause it's really, really cool. Um, that's yeah. awesome. What, what exactly are the main issues with the system that you are perceiving? I guess I phrase this question as what do you personally think are the most pressing challenges we're facing right now? Well, I would actually argue that one of the reasons I so love working um, in combating climate change is because climate change is, in fact, the most intersectional issue that we face. And so I think in combating it, we inherently serve a lot of these other causes that we care about. So to me, I don't actually think you can really look at climate without looking at gender justice, racial justice, economic justice. And I think so much of what we're up against is an ideology that kind of beget several systems based on the idea that it is okay to um, kind of anything in the name of profit, exploitation in the name of control, consumption. Um, and I think when we build out systems that prioritize that capitalization and consumption over actual well-being and sustainability, we do set ourselves up to fail. And we do set ourselves up to have strife, both social and environmental. Um, and so I think, again, when we can kind of 
build out better systems. I don't think that most people actually are opposed to an equitable and just world. I think that they are at a loss of how they personally can kind of exert that influence. And they are kind of contending against an entire system. So how can we start to create new systems? And that, again, is another prime opportunity when it comes to entrepreneurship. It's the creation. You're not beholden to kind of the antiquated um, ideas, prioritization, um, ideologies that have really kind of gotten us where we are now. In entrepreneurship, you can really decide for yourself, what are the values that we espouse and how are we going to build a business around those values and our intended impact? Yeah. And then one of my favorite like Steve Jobs quotes is he's talking about the world and like you can poke it and then something else will come out. And there's a lot of people have these ideas that the systems are the way they are and we're stuck in them and we got to keep perpetuating them. But really, every single action you take matters so much. Did you, do you have something to say to that? No, I completely agree. Yeah. And I think, honestly, even to that end, we're trying to facilitate the evolution of the systems that we participate in, the systems we build, behaviors we have. We're essentially just trying to um, contribute to the evolution of a more sustainable and equitable world. Yeah. Uh, so I, I, nothing is stagnant and necessity is the mother of invention. We have the opportunity, in fact, to create incredibly compelling um, communities, organizations, institutions, policies around um, more progressive and sustainable uh, values. Yeah. And for people who don't know, we spoke uh, a little bit before this podcast. And one of the things I love about what you're doing is I'm and I'm very confused. I thought, you know, I'll just focus on CO2 emissions and then that will fix all the problems. But as I've learned more about the issue of climate change, mm -hmm. you're absolutely correct. It's the most intersectional issue that exists. And one of the things I love about your company, which we're about to get into, um, is how you're integrating all of these different solutions into a financial product, which I think is like the most essential thing. And that's exactly what I'm trying to do with real estate, which whether people like it or not, is this financial product. And if we can get the money to work for the people, um, it, it has like some of the biggest impact compared to anything else, which is which really cool. Um, I am just like bamboozled how it became this way to like begin with. When we went from like hunter gatherer hunter gatherers, where we would like collect the resources and we would use like every single little piece. To now, it's like, all right, this person gets the leg. Okay, we everyone loves legs, so let's just get a bunch of legs and then throw out the rest of the carcass and like let all the resources go away. It's it's just pretty bad. Um, anyways, so what do you think are like key action points we can take when it comes to actually rectifying this wicked climate change problem, which as we've discussed is kind of affecting everything we do in life. Yeah, I think um, I would actually counter that. I think, frankly, the greatest responsibility is with institutions, private sector and governments. I think sure. we are and we want to facilitate uh, at Carbon Zero in the individuals, everyday people's sense of empowerment to be part of the solution. But frankly, um, though, I absolutely am happy to kind of enumerate all the various things we can do on an individual basis. My greatest call to action is for more corporations to actually stand according to what they claim to believe in. I think corporations, when we think about kind of the allocation of resources and where money flows, et cetera, we have such an incredible opportunity and therefore obligation to make it easier for people to participate in sustainable behaviors. Um, I think most people do, in fact, again, want to do the right thing. But if you feel like you are up against an entire gravitational pull that is in forcing you to kind of participate in certain things. Now, we all have our own agency, but frankly, we want to be kind of the um, 
create a flow where you opt in to be a part of the Carbon Zero community and we're facilitating, we're making it easier for you to act on your values rather than feel kind of crummy about your own consumerism. And frankly, you know, consumerism, I think money kind of at large can get a bad rep, but money is a mechanism by which we demonstrate value. And we can almost bring the integrity back to that experience by aligning our actions and transactions with our values and with kind of sustainable products, sustainable services. How do we spend our money? With whom? Where? This doesn't have to feel like this yucky experience if we as the corporations hold ourselves to a higher standard of what experience are we providing to the consumer? How do they feel about themselves using our products? To what extent are we facilitating in their ability to kind of act sustainably? No, I, I'm, I'm just a hundred percent on board with everything you just said. I didn't mean to say before that, like it's focused on the individual. I couldn't agree more yeah. corporations and governments like have the largest responsibility in my humble opinion. What do I know? But what I do want to know is what, what exactly is carbon zero? What's the product, yes. what's the service, the origination, the whole story. Absolutely. So carbon zero is essentially the mechanism by which we're trying to help people more automatically take climate accountability and then benefit from that, get rewarded for that. So it's a credit card. You swipe it as you would any other credit card, except that we are measuring, monitoring, and automatically offsetting your carbon footprint as you spend with us. So we receive the interchange on those transactions that you make with your Carbon Zero card. We invest them in a diverse portfolio of carbon offsetting projects so that the very card with which you're making purchases automatically neutralizes the environmental impact of those purchases. But for anyone who's in the climate space, you know that it's not sufficient to just be offsetting. We cannot just be offsetting all the time. We have to be reducing as well. And that's where the power of fintech comes in, such that we can get data insights into your behaviors to facilitate in the reduction. So again, top line service, we make carbon neutral living as simple as swiping your credit card. Using this credit card, you will automatically be allocating resources towards fighting climate change. But there's more that we can understand both about ourselves and the problem and how we can be part of the solution. So we automatically calculate your carbon footprint. To me, this is huge. This is also elementary kind of. The, the customization and automation of data is so ubiquitous. I know how many footsteps I took. I know how much money went in and out of my bank account. And nonetheless, that personalization and automation of data has not been applied to the relationship between our behaviors and the impact on climate. And that's one of the most existential things we face. We need to have data such that we can be benchmarking our progress. So we do that. We use your actual transactions and we come up with a carbon footprint for you such that you can be better understanding your own behaviors. Then we automatically offset it with that interchange. So we're investing in a diverse portfolio of carbon offsetting projects. And I do like to pause here. And really the reason I emphasize diverse is because in financial services, there's a lot of tree planting going on. And who doesn't love trees? I love trees. Unfortunately, that's more pageantry than it is actual impact. Um, there's a lot, over 200 methodologies for offsetting, for carbon offsetting. And tree planting is kind of the lowest hanging fruit. Um, we need to hold ourselves to a standard, both in our carbon accounting and carbon offsetting, such that we are actually scaling solutions, such that we're actually making an impact. Planting trees is kind of, again, lowest rung. Uh, we hold ourselves to a higher standard. We're investing in direct air capture, biochar production, mineralization. We work with Patch, uh, with whom you spoke already mm -hmm. on the show. Yeah. And they give us access to um, high quality vetted projects in a diversity of technologies employed. And even if you just think about it, and as an investor, what's kind of the first thing you learn to mitigate risk? Diversify your portfolio. Mm -hmm. 
a lot of people don't realize, you know, these trees are the same trees that then can burn down a forest fire, can kind of just fall over. What kind of feedback are you receiving if those trees kind of go up in smoke? Are these organizations informing you as the consumer that, hey, your carbon offsetting methodology actually just burnt to a crisp, all of that CO2 is back in the environment. What kind of feedback is there there? What kind of uh, data tracing are you using? So we're proud to invest in a diverse portfolio of carbon offsetting projects such that you know your carbon footprint, it is automatically being offset. And then because we calculated your carbon footprint, I can also tell you how you can most effectively and efficiently reduce it. So we're going to take the guesswork out of this. That's why we all love data. It takes the guesswork out of it. It gives us these behavioral insights that enable us to facilitate in the reduction of your carbon footprint as well. And that's really kind of where the behavioral change comes in. We can't just all be offsetting, though that is a great first step. We need to also be facilitating in the reduction. And through your financial services, through your credit card, we can make that a far more seamless experience. So I identify your behaviors and I can say, hey, we see you do a lot of shopping like this. I'm going to connect you to our incredible affiliate marketplace filled with sustainable services and products. We've vetted them for their sustainability practices, and we're going to get you the best discount possible on those services to kind of reward you for being a conscious consumer. And therefore, we can get people to start making better decisions about the brands with whom they shop. So we want to, frankly, connect you to everything from more sustainable apparel goods. There's biodegradable sneakers to also cleaner energy solutions, you know, energy efficient appliances. We're not saying you cannot make purchases. We're saying let's ensure that they're the most sustainable purchases possible. And we're going to facilitate that with a discount. Um, and in so doing, the consumerism that you're actually taking part of is a facilitating not only in automatically offsetting because you use the carbon zero credit card, but in reducing your carbon footprint as well. Um, and then the last thing that we're really trying to do through all of that is what I call lowering the carbon impact, raising the carbon consciousness. So many of us do not know about carbon offsetting, about carbon footprints. These are, um, you know, somewhat confusing, complex, and scary concepts. We want to facilitate and educating such that people not only feel like they understand their own behaviors, they understand these concepts, but they are more equipped to hold other institutions, governments, other corporations, perhaps who are just tree planting, to a higher standard, that we can start to feel like we have some agency in this fight and that everyday people do feel more empowered. Um, I think, frankly, the, the institutions that most benefit from the disempowerment of everyday people are the very institutions who are most exacerbating climate change. We want to change that. Well, you're, you're definitely doing it. Uh, how long did you work for the, the real estate company? Oh my, two years or so. And again, so real estate, it's interesting. Um, yeah, when you, I'm, I so admire your intersection of using kind of this uh, one industry in service of kind of something larger that you believe in. Yeah, well, the reason I'm bringing that up is because like throughout that whole speech, you're making me want to throw out all my other credit cards. So I'm just very, very impressed. Ah. Uh, <laughs> um, can we speak a bit... Can we speak a bit more to the um, how the, the carbon footprint calculation works? How is a credit card going to tell you yeah. how much CO2 you're creating or emitting? Absolutely. Well, if you think about it, when you look at your credit card, this is something that tracks your behaviors with your spending. It tells you the kind of your transaction history, the brands with whom you've been shopping, etc. Standard to a credit card is kind of a breakdown of kind of, okay, you spent this much on transportation. You spent this much on... We're essentially 
elevating the impact of that data by ascribing kind of new insights to it. So again, we use the actual transaction value. We look at the merchant category codes of your transactions, and we've mapped that across the carbon intensities of those merchant category codes. And in so doing, we can start to give you a sense of, okay, I'm kind of, I, I participate in these behaviors in these industries, kind of this is the carbon impact of that. We look forward to increasing the specificity such that we can be brand specific, not just merchant category, this brand, um, kind of itemized receipts even. These are things that are kind of going to have to evolve kind of with our evolution with fintech such that we get more data out of each transaction and we can know that. But we also rely then on self-reporting from the individual. Are you a vegan? Are you a meat eater? And we can be applying those deltas. So it's a mix of having mapped again, the merchant category codes with the carbon intensities, which is kind of industry standard for how we measure carbon impact um, from a transaction basis, and then adding specificity by self-reporting from the individual and working with more brands and data consultancies to be able to apply even greater insight into like, okay, the difference between this store and this store. Um, we will obviously have far more data on the brands with whom we're working in our affiliate marketplace um, who will be vetted for their sustainability practices. So in trying to usher people to these more sustainable options uh, and again, doing so with a discount. But I think, frankly, much like my Fitbit, just having that data makes me so much more aware of my behaviors such that I can more effectively achieve goals. And we are trying to provide that same um, awareness through the carbon footprint calculation. We just want people to better understand behavior, impact. This is, I think, um, most people have no idea what their carbon footprint is. I've spoken to chief sustainability officers, heads of climate techs, none of whom can really say what their carbon impact is. Um, and if our goal is not only to offset, but kind of reduce carbon impacts, it's pretty important that we at least have a sense of our own portion of the problem such that we can actually start to be part of the solution. Yeah, yeah. amazing. I really want, I want to speak a bit to the distinction between offsetting and transitioning to more sustainable products because one is is like a behavior based thing and the other your your company is kind of doing the work for them. So I was curious what your thoughts are on why there's a lot of hesitation in the environmental space in particular people who aren't involved in corporations are hesitant to support offsetting whereas people I when I speak to companies they're like oh offset offset offsets. So I wanted yeah. to kind of get into that a little bit more. So I think we can think of offsetting as a mechanism by which you kind of, um, again, you take accountability for your carbon impact. That's not to say, however, that you're making decisions to reduce your overall carbon impact. So if you emit X amount, you're ensuring that you've offset X amount. We would prefer that that never was emitted in the first place. And so when we talk about reduction, offsetting is a method of taking accountability, but reduction is ensuring you have less to be accountable for. And that's kind of the, the difference. So we are going to automate the process by which we help you take accountability. But ultimately, we are going to provide services. We're going to act as both concierge and broker to ensure that you can also be reducing your carbon footprint. And when we think about how we most effectively combat climate change, it's just that. Reducing. We can't just be offsetting. We're not just trying to account for kind of what is. We're trying to improve. We're trying to have less to be accountable for. Um, so that's the difference between those. We're automating that initial accountability, but then we're facilitating in the reduction. And frankly, again, I would actually posit that most people are okay 
do in making those sustainable decisions. The research suggests most people actually do prefer sustainable products. They sell at higher price points and they sell faster. It's really just a question of how much work are we expecting on behalf of the consumer? Do we expect them to do this research? Do we expect them to look up kind of the brands with whom they should actually be shopping? So many don't even understand their own behaviors. Um, and that's, again, why it's so important. Let's give them the information. Let's give them the data. And then let's tell them the most effective and efficient ways they can reduce their carbon footprint and connect them to the services uh, and brands that facilitate. So I think people are open to it and receptive to it. It's just, again, with what ease are they able to do it? People don't kind of want to feel like they have this whole other job outside of their actual jobs and their families and their other day-to-day concerns to be like, okay, how do I do a complete overhaul of my consumerism such that I'm only shopping with sustainable brands? It's not very easy for people to actually, um, again, act and transact according to their values right now. We're trying to make it easier. And I think you're succeeding, but you you guys are a startup company. And if I'm not mistaken, you are the founder or are you the co-founder? Co-founder. So I came in in uh, this past year, 2021, it's now 2022, in 2021, um, initial idea, kind of one of the co-founders, early investor, uh, he met me, wanted to bring me on. Um, Initial co-founder had kind of decided that was done with the experience and had done a tremendous job. Um, Great idea, had teed up a lot of great things, but we were still pre revenue, pre product, pre launch. We're now uh, intending to launch in June. So we're very excited about that. We've signed with Visa as our credit network. We've built out our carbon footprint calculation technology. We have our partnership with Patch such that we have access to this diverse portfolio of carbon offsetting projects. And we're very excited. We're starting to build out our affiliate marketplace. Again, we're thinking clean energy, sustainable brands, energy efficient appliances, um, anything that can make the biggest impact on the reduction of your carbon footprint. Uh, But we are, we're still startup days. And again, in the climate fintech space, there's a lot of excitement, but I still think it's very early days. Um, And we're excited to uh, do what we perceive to be offering more competitive services than what's currently out there. I just love the way the angles you're coming at this from. It's like it's like all heart, all values, and then create product, which I think, uh, you know, traditional, I don't even want to call them traditional, but black-hearted capitalists, whatever, they come at it from product, money, and then, you know, maybe we'll add a sustainability yeah. piece or something. I just, yeah, because like you're, you're pulling all of these things into this, this credit card, but I just, I know this is not where it ends for you based on what you're saying. So I wanted to hear kind of what your personal long-term vision is for Carbon Zero, because I know you're thinking 10 years down the line for sure. Yeah. Based on all the data you're talking about, that's going to be used for something, you know? And it's all for this. Well, I love it. It's interesting you mentioned that. We are actually very adamant that we first did the research, but then we also, we're building this product around the impact we want to have. And frankly, something that guides us as we continue to build is, The scale of our impact will always be commensurate to the strength of our integrity. And I think there's such a crisis of faith. Many people do not believe in the corporations with whom they transact. Most people do not believe actually in the ability to do impact from the private sector. A lot of people are now having a heightened awareness of how much greenwashing is going on. And I think people really are just exhausted, demoralized, and don't know who to trust. And so we're very, very conscious of the fact that we have an opportunity, but also with that obligation, to always hold ourselves to a high standard of what is the work that we're doing. And we have to kind of start and end with those values. So um, I appreciate you kind of observing that and uh, 
keep keep us uh, keep us accountable by all means. Please continue to check in, and uh, I hope that we continue to uh, reflect that. In terms of our ten year plan, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go too too <laughs> in depth, but frankly, there is so much value and power in a conscious consumer base. When you think about, uh, it's so funny how different people frame this. They're kind of like, oh, well, these people, like, are they really going to want a credit card that just does offsetting and carbon neutrality? Well, the beauty of it is that's not it. We intend very much for this to be saving the planet and saving them money. When you think of the power of a conscious consumer base, this is a group of people who have demonstrated they care about the environment. It's highly concentrated target market that so many different brands and services want access to. And in so doing, we can kind of leverage their buying power in very powerful and exciting ways, such that we are actually rewarding them in the truest sense of the kind of the term for good behavior. We're rewarding you for the fact that you do care about the environment. We're rewarding you. We're almost bringing integrity back to that concept as well. You are aligning actions and transactions with concern for climate change. And in, as such, we're going to make sure you have a suite of benefits. Um, so we do very much kind of a lot of our, our plans for the future do um, pertain to our understanding of ourselves, both as kind of financial services platform, but also concierge and also broker, um, and always coming back to how can we help everyday people with this. Now, we also intend to launch a corporate card because corporations have to take accountability as well. And many corporations are desirous of more innovation and automation by which they can take accountability. So um, that's our second product. Again, we believe in the power of everyday people. We want to start there, but we're um, very excited to also be kind of working with corporations who have the most to be accountable for and most desperately need to be reducing their emissions. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing. I always love to ask that kind of stuff. I'm a visionary kind of guy. And uh, FYI, sign up Ethan Shapiro, sign up Climate Change Realty. I'm on board. Um, yeah, there we go. Yeah, hell yeah. So you were talking about um, others in the industry in this space. I just wanted to know if you could speak a bit to like how much interest you're seeing specifically from financial services companies. I just, you know, we just spoke to Clean Energy Credit Union last week mm-hmm. when, when, or even yeah. just like payment processing systems, like who are interested yeah. in reducing carbon emissions beyond, beyond yourself. Absolutely. And it's so interesting because I do think we're recognizing how financial services, frankly, is such a perfect vehicle for the allocation of resources in, in as investments to fight climate change. And so whereas some people almost see these things as mutually exclusive, financial services are antithetical to sustainability, to um, kind of saving the planet. We very much believe that these can be powerful forces for good in fighting climate. Um, I do think within this space, you're seeing a, the proliferation of a lot of different cards, services. We see a lot, particularly in the debit space. So a lot of debit cards emerging that kind of have these different implications around tree planting or just that your money is invested more sustainably, uh, will not be invested in fossil fuels. Um, At most bank, similar idea, your money will not be going into fossil fuels in any capacity. So we're seeing uh, a lot of different takes on it, a lot of different approaches, which again is also very exciting. It's so, one of my most favorite parts of this work is I observing how different industries and services take on climate? How can we incorporate this into our work? What's what's our strategy? And it's amazing. Um, so we are seeing that, again, a lot of debit cards. I will say again, I think we all have to hold ourselves to a high standard of carbon accounting and carbon offsetting. And so when we think about how we can most kind of get the best return on investments, we cannot just be planting trees. Uh, and we need to be giving people greater insight into their the impact of their own behaviors. Um, but I, I look forward, frankly, I think 
with kind of the competition in this space, the, the kind of who most benefits is the earth. So <laughs> that's a good thing. If more and more people are endeavoring to create sustainable products, ultimately that is serving the planet. So um, I think we're, we're confident in our ability to compete based on our services. And we really look forward to continuing to hold this, increase our own standard of our own services such that we remain competitive in the space. But um, yeah, I think to your point, when people hear about it, it's like, Thank goodness. Like, please make it easier for me. By all means, I can swipe my credit card and just the credit card with which I'm making transactions can facilitate so much of this. Done. Count me in. Um, and so we really, we look forward to more both within financial services and other kind of private sector institutions, really critically thinking about how they can more effectively uh, empower and help everyday people live sustainably and how they too themselves can be reducing their carbon footprints. Catherine, do you ever use a debit card? So I really don't. So that's it's a funny such a thing. It's a waste. It's, there, well, I, it's, I don't see any benefit to it, really, besides like not having to carry cash, but you're building credit by using a credit card. It just seems like an mm -hmm. inferior product to something like yours. I think it's relative to the use case. It's also relative to a person's relationship with their own money, with their own credit. Um, obviously, there's an element with credit where you can get in trouble. So you can kind of overdraw sure. with debit, but a lot of people end up going into credit card debt. Um, I think very often we are finding, particularly in the United States, it's interesting, credit cards are quite popular. Um, it's even fascinating to explore different nations, whether they use kind of debit or credit more. Um, but again, when we think what's fascinating as well, we're really, the people who very often have the high, they're kind of the biggest uh, carbon impact, normally are kind of the more affluent and when we do look kind of within to affluent circles in the United States, most of them are putting almost all of their expenses on credit cards. And so as we kind of scale, your carbon impact increases, your affluence increases, so too does the likelihood that you're actually putting this on a credit card. And so again, by using a credit card as the mechanism for the automation of offsetting and reduction, the people who have the most to be accountable for, this is the tool that they actually employ anyways. And that's where we come back to. Let's capitalize on existing systems, existing behaviors, existing frameworks, um, and now make tweaks such that it has new implications for impact. Uh, but I, I, I think a lot of people do love the convenience of a credit card. They love the data. They love the insights. And they are putting almost all of their expenses on a credit card. Um, except where they would be penalized for doing so, which we see with utilities. We can see that with rent. Um, and frankly, that too is a great opportunity. How can we get people, uh, increase people's ability to put existing expenses that have a penalty on credit card such that carbon zero is being used quite literally for everything uh, and every purchase has offsetting and reduction as a part of it? Yeah, well, this isn't a finance show and I'm not as interested in that stuff as I was when I was like 21. But um, I take my debit card, I put it in the ATM, I give my barber 40 bucks for my haircut and that's the only time mm -hmm. I ever use it because I'm always trying to build bigger credit because when you run a business, I'm sure you know, line of credit is very important. I don't know how to, how to word this properly, but I wanted to talk about the ability to use automation to scale social justice initiatives. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to respond to what you said about how the most affluent people have the largest carbon footprint, which is Fair absolutely enough. the case. But lower I don't, or third world countries, I don't even know what the politically correct term to use is less developed nations, I think is the correct mm -hmm. way to say it. they are burning wood or burning dung or using inefficient technologies. So I don't know, like, 
if I'm trying to figure how, how to say this, like if an affluent person's credit carbon um, footprint is like a 10 and like a less developed, poorer person's carbon footprint is like a one, if there were more, do you, do you know what I'm trying to say? Like they, they are, they, their lifestyle produces more emissions, but the, the affluent person consumes more. So they have a yeah. larger footprint. I think we have to look first and foremost at kind of what can I control? What is within my capacity to make an impact? I also think it's very important that when we start to consider kind of the climate implications of different socioeconomic statuses, so often whatever inefficiencies that you're describing are not coming from a place of extravagance. It's coming from a place of necessity. Um, lack of necessity and also lack of support and infrastructure. Um, energy inefficiency is rampant in lower income homes. It's not because these people are kind of extravagant with their resources. It's because they truly do not have good infrastructure such that the heating of their home is sufficient and they have to supplement it with um, kind of electric heaters, etc. So very often, I think we have to be mindful of to what extent is a person's carbon footprint a reflection of privilege or lack thereof. And when we do talk about kind of lower income families and whatever energy expenditure kind of emissions relate to them, that is not, that's actually indicative of a lack of privilege, a lack of help, a lack of infrastructure supporting them. Whereas when we look at more affluent communities, their carbon footprint is indicative of their privilege. Um, and so again, when we think about what control can you exert over your carbon impact, affluent people do actually have a lot of resources, one of which now is carbon zero to facilitate the reduction of their carbon footprint. For so many of these other people, it's not that they're being extravagant, it's that they truly do not have the um, tools, resources, and um, essentially the help that they need in order to reduce emissions. And so to that end, again, we actually look at who's responsible for that. We can start to look at, okay, to what extent do institutions and governments need to better facilitate? Um, but I do think always within the climate crisis, and frankly, probably for most of our social uh uh, equity questions, we always need to account for the role of privilege. And where there is lack of privilege, I also think there is lack of probably opportunity for accountability or also lack of need to be asking people to be as accountable because it's so related to a lack of privilege. Where there's an abundance of privilege and also an abundance of carbon, I think where there's a lot of opportunity and need to say, hey, what can we be doing better? Um, that said, we want to make it easy even for these kind of people who do have abundance. We want to make it easy, but we do want you to be facilitating in the reduction because, frankly, we have the greatest carbon footprints. We can look at that within the United States, the more affluent, but even kind of America at large. We are a very privileged nation. So that conversation also can exist on a more global scale. Yeah, well, clearly I'm not ready to speak on this topic, but what I was trying to get at is um, that bringing people out of poverty globally will reduce carbon emissions. I don't have the evidence to explain that, but I've, I've listened to a lot of things, obviously, about this. Absolutely. One of the things I love, again, is that climate is so intersectional. And when we look at, um, very often, I mean, a lot of people cite the fact that advancing the rights of women around the world would Correct. be instrumental in fighting climate. We, I think we cannot effectively or responsibly discuss climate without also discussing feminism and racism and exploitation and imperialism and militarism. There's so many isms that are kind of compacted into this. Um, and when we fight climate change, we inherently start to address these things. But absolutely, I think advancing the rights of women, I think addressing um, extreme poverty and inequity, that's going to be a part of this. Because essentially what we're saying is how do we create a more sustainable planet uh, and ensure the well-being of future generations. 
And beyond just carbon zero, what are your general thoughts on other ways that we can use automation or artificial intelligence to promote these issues or fix them? I think, again, we need to use technology in such a way that it it more effectively capitalizes on the fact that a lot of us actually want to do the right thing. If we kind of accept that we are good-intentioned, well-intentioned, good-intentioned, well-intentioned, but perhaps a little lazy and a little ignorant, how much more powerfully can we scale solutions with the help of technology? I genuinely believe most people want to do the right thing. They just want it to be easier. They don't want to feel like they have to kind of take up tons of time to do research and to do these various things. If that's the truth, that's fine. I am happy to facilitate. And I don't necessarily even blame an individual for feeling like I can't take on an entire system. I can't take on. So I think so much of the ability of technology is to make it clear how someone can be helping, um, make it clear what steps can be taken and make them easy because there's so much disempowerment and there's so much sense of like, what can I as an individual do? It's really when we get enough individuals taking small steps, what can't we do? Uh, And I think technology can really effectively demonstrate that in identifying those opportunities and then automating them, scaling them. So whether that's We already see this in different ways. You know, when someone believes in something, perhaps it's wildlife conservation, they can sign up to kind of donate $30 a month or they can sign. There's already been kind of um, case studies around how automation, particularly in the allocation of resources, can help us maintain behaviors, can help us. And every week I don't have to think of it. Every month I don't have to think of it because I've already signed up to do it automatically. Um, So I think. Automation, frankly, is the beauty of that is you opt in to do the right thing once and thereafter it is just taken care of. So how much more can we get done when I just have to do the right thing once as opposed to on a monthly, yearly basis? Um, I think there's a lot of power in that. So I, I very much look forward to the intersection of automation, behavioral change and scaling goals for uh, people and planet. Well, we got to make sure that the person who's writing the code is uh, actually well-intentioned, which brings me to my next question about how people can um, learn to trust each other because there's no way for us to fix these mm-hmm. issues without intense collaboration from every single sector, every single socioeconomic mm-hmm. status. Of course, you and I believe that large institutions, corporations, and governments have the most responsibility. But um, what are your thoughts on how people can learn to trust and then eventually actually collaborate, whether it be buying something from a company that you trust or working together on a team to get these issues done? Yeah, I think the crisis of trust, I mean, it's certainly something we think about a lot. Um, I think there's a lot of different answers and also kind of um, it's relative also to like, are we talking about a person to person, person to company? I think one of the best ways that you can start to um, trust again is if you actually trust yourself as well. And I think one of the most powerful ways that we can start to believe in others is if we model the behaviors and values that we want to see elsewhere. Because in so doing, we prove that at least one person's doing it. We prove that there is at least one person. And frankly, I think then we also attract kind of uh, other people who are like-minded, who are. So honestly, one of the most I mean, so try to kind of say, but be the change you want to see in the world. One of the best ways to start to believe in others is to actually model what you want to see in the world. Um, I think that's actually a huge and very empowering step to take just there. But more importantly, I think transparency uh, when it comes to corporations, I think how we kind of maintain trust is look at what answers you are getting and not getting. Look at what information you do have and don't have. 
if you are left with questions, for example, again, the kind of simple, how is impact being achieved? Where? How is it being tracked? How is this? Those kind of simple questions. And frankly, I think the onus is always on the corporation or institution to divulge that. So if you're not seeing those answers readily, take that as a red flag unto itself. If you don't, if you can't very clearly understand how impact is being achieved or where it's coming from, that's the responsibility of an institution. So when it comes to people, I would say model kind of that, which you want to see in others. And in so doing, you kind of even increase your, the idea that like at least one person's doing it. And I trust that others will too. But I think when it comes to corporations, it's actually on us. We have the onus to earn trust. Um, and that's something else that is important. Trust is supposed to be earned. So look at people's behaviors. Look at kind of the the um, decisions they make, the values they model or lack thereof. That will kind of tell you uh, it speaks for itself. Um, uh, yeah, I think it has to be earned, but we also have to model what we want to see. So uh, something I definitely want to ask you is your passion comes through in everything you've said on this entire podcast. It's super admirable. And people are probably watching like, whoa, she's starting She's starting this company. She's doing all these amazing things. She's really doing what she believes. So I wanted to ask you, how do you think more people can find this passion in their daily lives? How did you get here? Like, how did you do it? I'm a very passionate person. <laughs> um, again, I would just say... So much does come down to identify the problems you care about. So if we kind of think my greatest kind of career advice, but also just life advice, identify the things you care about that do light you up. Then consider your still sets. What are you good at and enjoy doing? And how can you make those two things intersect? What are you? How do you employ your skills and talents in such a way that you're addressing the problems that you most care about? And there is truly nothing that's quite as rewarding as actually believing in the work you're doing and seeing yourself reflected back in how you spend your time, the people with whom you spend your time. I think one of the worst feelings is the dissonance of looking at your life and being like, I don't recognize that person. Like, that's not actually me. That's uh, a lot of decisions motivated by perhaps fear or pride or ego, but that's not actually what I care about. Um, and the richest life, I think, is frankly, when you can look at how you spend your time um, towards what you're fighting, et cetera, and be like, oh, I recognize that person and I like that person. Um, but I would just start with what kind of, what do you care about? I am very, outside of this work, I have something called Share the Wealth Workshops. Um, it's a kind of free educational workshops on financial literacy. I get really also upset when I think about the extent to which lack of financial literacy exacerbates existing social inequities, particularly for women and people of color who don't necessarily didn't have access to education on investing on. I've always been very responsible with finances, but I didn't have an education on actually, you shouldn't just save, you should be investing this money, you should be capitalizing on it. Um, I, again, when I, I think something's not fair or not right, I get very like, okay, how am I going to help? What am I going to do about it? Um, and I think that's been very rewarding. So I think passion comes from when we actually care, when we're actually interested. And the more that we can align the work we do or how we spend our free time, uh, our communities with what we care about, uh, the more that we kind of have this reserve of energy to keep going. Absolutely. And I'm thinking about how like I was laying in bed last night, just like beaming, just like grinning because I, I was I talked to a couple of people yesterday and this real estate industry is very cutthroat, make as much money as you can. And I'm just I'm an independent broker now. I work for myself. I've always worked for myself. And like 
all these mm. traditional ways that people are controlled, whether it's by like societal pressure or like, hey, here's like the carrot. You want to make more money? If you want to make more money, do this. Yeah. None of it works on me because I just do what yeah. I believe every single day. And I'm just so happy to have this autonomy. It's just a beautiful feeling. Catherine, it's been really great having you on the show today. Thanks so much for taking some time out of your busy schedule to join us. I always love to ask people at the end, what advice do you have for any young folks who are listening who are about to enter the business world? Just general mm. advice. Know yourself, know your values, and know what you actually care about, um, and start to prioritize and make decisions around that. I think it's so easy to get caught up in fear and doubt and all of these other kind of really pernicious things when we make decisions about how we want to spend our time and the work we want to do. Um, and there's no wrong answers, but a radical act of self-love is to do work that you actually believe in. And the sooner you can start doing it, the sooner you can have the impact you want. Oh, that was awesome. Catherine, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. I will be contacting your company in June to get a new credit card. There we go. Perfect. All right, everybody. Sign up. Carbon Zero. Carbon Zero Financial. Carbon Zero Financial. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. So if you or anyone else you know is looking to buy or sell a home anywhere in the USA and would like to create thousands of dollars in donations without any cost out of pocket, please visit ccrboulder.com today.